welcome back to uh, Technically, Technically Healthy. Uh, I am your host, Tobias Alpston, and, and today we are joined by a very interesting person, Lewis Clay Baker, who, uh, who not only is, uh, well, had been studying medicine for a while and now practicing, and who also been in the uh, Oxford vaccine trial. How are you, Lewis? I'm great. Thank you for having me today. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm fascinated by the trials. Of course, this is now um, the the week after we've had um, the Moderna, the Pfizer, and AstraZeneca yeah. Oxford trials coming to to some level of fruition and some level of evidence, and and that you've been part of producing that. Let me start from the beginning. How do you get how do you get involved in a COVID vaccine trial? Sure. So for me, it was because um, I knew someone who was at the lab where they're taking where they're doing these trials. So I went up to Imperial because my friend is working there, and that was her lab. So I just emailed someone because I knew they were looking for healthcare workers. Okay. So yeah, I just got in touch with them, and yeah, that time they happened to be recruiting people, so it worked out really well. And do you know how many people they had to recruit to the trial? I'm not sure, but I think by now it's thousands because it's in yeah. lots of different countries, lots of different sites in the UK and also lots of other countries. So it's a big trial. I found out this and week that I was one of the first 100 people to do it at the site I did it at. Some people will consider this quite brave. Yeah, I've heard that. I think now it kind of does feel like a big deal. But at the time, I didn't really feel like I was doing anything exceptionally brave. It just felt like... They were looking for people exactly like me and I could do it. And they were very reassuring people. Presumably, there was. Uh, did you have to sign up to take risks? And did you have to sign disclaimers and things like that, that if, if everything went wrong, you, you, that you would not hold them accountable or uh, none of that? Yeah, I think it wasn't quite like that. I think they, they told us. So I went in as a group and we all watched this presentation together. And they told us about what they'd done already and the test they'd already done. And then it was up to us whether or not we signed it. Well, I mean, I suppose that's that's the ethical side of, of things. Right? You have to can't be too coercive. And yeah. and and then so the and and talk us through then the the process. Is it a one? Is it one shot? And um, so for me, I went in for my first vaccine back in right at the beginning of May, and then I had a couple of follow ups. I had to keep a symptom diary and things like that. And then, actually, I wasn't expecting them to call me back, but they called me back at the start of November to get a booster jab. Um, I don't know if I actually... They tested half of us with the COVID vaccine and half of us got a placebo, which was a meningitis vaccine. So I still don't know which one I got. Oh, how interesting. And then they can't necessarily expose you to the virus. So, so how do they find out if the vaccine is working? Yeah, I think it's really interesting, actually. Um, at, right at the beginning, they said they want people who weren't exposed. Then for my group, when they started recruiting at Imperial, they said they want people who are working with COVID patients. So I think lots of healthcare workers have been involved. All right. So um, okay. Yeah. yeah. And then we do a symptom diary where you, not a symptom, well, a symptom diary and a diary of who we've been in contact with. So they can kind of track it that way. And then the main way they do it is they do blood tests for antibodies to see if we've had it. Okay, well, that's the all right. Yeah, I got it. So you said you got a booster. Yes. Is that uh, have they now shaped this into? Do they know how they will administer this this particular vaccine? Is it going to be a two shot, one shot? 
do you do they know that already or is that still to be established i think that's still to be established i think we're still waiting for a bit more data from um astrazeneca very interesting and do you follow the other trials yeah i was very excited when the first one that come out came out when pfizer announced it last week yeah i mean it's just uh it, i mean clearly everybody's waiting for this and yeah and, and you got involved among the first hundred i still think you might not think it's to be brave or advanced, <laughs> but I think it's pretty cool, actually. I, I think, thought it was I mean, very cool. Go... It really yes, felt like, like... <laughs> it, yeah, it really felt like being part of something when I was one, when I went up there and saw all the research they were doing. It was very exciting. So, do you get insight into that? I mean, as a as a doctor, um, it must be more interesting than perhaps than for the average person in the street. Um, I'm not a doctor yet. I'm just a medical student, but oh, hopefully yeah, next yeah. year. Okay. Exactly. Um, you, oh, it's good that you clarify that <laughs> because you did say that you're you're at uh, Kingston Hospital. Yes. Sorry, I'm on placement there. So that's the end uh, final year. We just go on placement. So I'm a hospital all the time, but I'm not a doctor just yet. It is important to clarify that. Um, yeah. Full disclosure here. I my uh, first choice um, at uh, for university was medical school in oh, cool. Stockholm. I didn't get in. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so I tend to say this is my revenge. The, uh, the running I Plato and and my GP <laughs> with NAS, two million patients. Uh, you know, we're looking after two million people. Um, this is my revenge on on that exact moment. But uh, <laughs> but you got in. Uh, yes. Well, second time round actually. So. All oh, right. Yeah. And and at Imperial or somewhere else. Um, I'm at St George's in Tooting. Right. Then, well, Kingston is quite, quite yeah. a, a logical a step. Okay, so in a year's time, you'll be qualified. Yes, hopefully. Of course, you will be, and then <laughs> you, you will become a GP. Um, no, so I think you have to do two years training in hospital first, and then you okay. choose what to do. And I think I will choose GP. Mm, why that? Why we have plenty of GPs using our system. Why GP? Um, I think for me that. The really big attraction to GP is the community element. I did um, mm. some optional modules in global health and public health. And I think primary care is really important. Primary care, you can hopefully stop people getting sick in the first place. <laughs> That's the appeal. Absolutely. And yeah. I, th I think, you know, as, as we said, we've got a, a lot of GPs on, on the platform. And, and it is true, particularly the way that general practice is uh, funded incentivized to to actually look after people before they they get ill um, prevention is inherent in yeah. the british model yeah. and uh, i think we we do lead uh, certainly we're well ahead of of some large healthcare markets in in the sense that this is uniformity at the community and the prevention are things that, yeah. that are in, in the model so when you when you become a gp yeah you will have you will be exposed and this brings us back to the vaccine you will be exposed to people who will say uh, in this scenario of i don't want to have a, va a covid vaccine for this and this and this reason are you ready for that i don't know i hope that if i was a gp people would come to me with those concerns and tell me if they were worried and tell me why they're worried because um, I think it's really important that GPs are somewhere that people can go to and that GP will listen to them 
and hopefully educate them so they can make their own decisions and hopefully those will be the right decisions. Do you think this is going to be a, a challenge when it comes to the, uh, the AstraZeneca, the Oxford vaccine that comes to, to market that you have helped develop through participating <laughs> in the trial? How, do, you, do you think that's going to be a problem? There's been some media about that. Yeah, I think it's always a problem. I think people always um, feel anxious about new things, especially, you know, people don't know much about vaccines development anyway, but we're hearing that this has happened very quickly. And people, I think it's natural that people question why that's happened so quickly, how it's happened so quickly, how we can be sure it's safe. Yeah, I think it's really important that we have information out there and education out there that people can access easily. And information that's accurate as well, I think that's really important. Yeah. No, and, and what do you think are the number one two and three objections what would you think people say i will this is the number one i i suppose it's the uncertainty of of uh, uh you know long-term effects is that do you yeah. think that's the biggest the biggest worry that people have that i have yeah. no idea what's going to happen because this has not been tested for a long time yeah i think i think that's a really good question i think number one is these long-term side effects people say like maybe it's fine now two weeks later but how do we know it will happen years down the line um, i think number two is lots of people say that they've been around covid they haven't got it or they've been fine so they just don't feel like they need the vaccine and then i think number three like people people are mistrusting of the pharmaceutical industry Mm. Um, and I think there's quite a lot of work that needs to go into that. So there's lots of reasons. It's not it's not straightforward. Yeah. I, and what do you think on the first one? Yeah. Since you've had this vaccine in a in a very experimental <laughs> yep. stage, uh, is there something you can say about side effects? Did you have any? Um, I had a sore arm the next day. Okay. Which is kind of what I was expecting. I, you know, that's very normal after a vaccine. Um, I really, after that first date, I haven't had any side effects. I haven't heard of anyone who's had any side effects. I don't think the way vaccines usually work is you get side effects very far down the line. I mean, I'm not an expert, but I can't see any reason why you would have long-term side effects. But I know it's not hard for me to say because I'm, I'm not a scientist. There has been a, a number of surveys about you know, who, who will be, you know, of the public of of how ready people are to take to take this vaccine when it comes available um which is ironic given that that you know, some people are proving to be quite hostile yeah i think just it, i mean it is so new this came out two weeks ago this announcement from pfizer and there's also been lots of media saying that like look, I've, i see lots of people on twitter and facebook and things saying that they're not sure about it and i think that's really contagious when you hear other people having doubts and you haven't quite made up your mind yet. It's quite easy to latch on to the people who have doubts. Um, I think in time, people might get more comfortable with it and feel more safe. Yeah, especially with sp spokespeople like you. I hope she, so. You can say we can. <laughs> she, she seems all right. <laughs> yeah, but, I feel great. Anyway. And I haven't got COVID, so. <laughs> you take all the boxes. <laughs> That's brilliant, but I suppose one of the interesting things is that the you know the, with the with antibodies that may not stay. Do you reading between the lines? Do you think that this is also going to be the way that va the vaccine will work? That actually every six months we will have to turn up and have another boost. I really, I really don't know that. Um, 
But having said that, there are vaccines where we do like we have to get the flu jab every year, mm. and we make that work. But that's because the strains change, right? Oh yeah, it's that, because yeah. The, the the actual seasonal flu uh, yeah. is changing and evolving, and so they every time come up with a new yeah mix. That's true. Uh, I suppose this one probably will have a similar. I mean, yeah, it seems logical that it will have a similar evolution. It will start becoming resistant to some of these vaccines that they've oh, developed yes. today. Yeah, I see. so you're saying that the va- the virus itself will become the vaccine will stop being effective on it. It seems logical that that it will evolve in yeah. some way, or but but uh, it you know it seems seems completely unimaginable to, that twelve mi- mu- months or ten months after we got to know anything about this, that uh, could you in your wildest dreams have thought that now in November. 2020 we would be having this global pandemic no honestly i like i don't think there's a single person who could have predicted that this is how 2020 was going to go no and also the fact we found a vaccine i think even that is quite shocking that that happened there are hundreds of projects that were being funded to find that vaccine yeah and you know not even a handful of them have now shown evidence of of efficacy and safety uh, and now seem to be able you know we should be able to use them in, in a couple of weeks time potentially yeah do you think that being an insider or having insight in all of these trials do you think that the there were 195 vaccines ideas that didn't work or do you think there will be even more successful vaccines from for different providers coming coming online with similar evidence or even better evidence in the next couple of weeks and months I think in the next coming months, there's going to be a lot more coming. Um, like I said, I'm not an expert, but I know that Imperial themselves are doing a vaccine. There's so many places from other countries who are trialing these vaccines. And there's some really good scientists out there working on it. I think these are the first three. I think there will be many more. It hasn't enticed you into immunology or anything like that? Um, I think immunology is really hard. Like, big respect to the guys doing that. I don't know how they do it. I think it's very impressive. I don't know if that's the career for me. Okay. Um, but I suppose this is a global pandemic is the time to, to shine if, if this is your passion. Yeah, uh, I think people have been working so hard. So we do, we do tie to, to, as you know, my GP is a health tech platform. Yeah. Did you have any technical tools? So did, all of this, you know, you mentioned you were tracking your side effects. Was was that you did you do that on a, on some kind of on your phone, or did you do it on a piece of paper, or all these other interactions? I mean, they need to capture team that don't, runs the research needs to capture feedback from lots of people. Was that any 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 of it di- digital? I think yeah, that's a good question. Um, it was like a online website thing, and I remember thinking when we were doing it, it wasn't it was a bit clunky. It was like an online PDF, and I mean the data was good, but it felt like we had to like you had to log on to a computer and fill in all these forms and stuff. Um, yeah, that's how they tracked it, and it's I'm I still have to do one one every week. All right, so you have to log in, fill in a form saying no, still no side effects. Yeah, I have to say if any of my housemates have noticed symptoms, if anyone I've been around has noticed symptoms, and if I've had side effects. That's uh. <laughs> okay, so there's some work to do. There's some innovation to do here. Uh, yeah, I think you're right, definitely. 
Okay. All right. So, so you have, are you going to start a company to do this? <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe I'll love, get into app love, development on the side. We, exactly. We love, you know, we love doctors here or healthcare professionals, smart people. And then we like entrepreneurs who bring these two things together. So there's been a, a theme on this podcast from, for the, for the, uh, for the last couple of weeks is to bring those two things together so i think you had a have a, a company idea behind you there just uh, as a spin-off from this project yeah maybe and actually um last time i was on a gp placement the gp said the best thing to do in a gp career is get lots of other uh, projects on the side like app development so the second person who's given me that advice <laughs> must be the way forward it is definitely the way forward okay now so one of the uh big things that we have seen in our uh, my GP research is that people may be happy to get the take the vaccine themselves as adults, but then yeah. they say, "But I will not let my children have it." What do you think about that? Um, I think that comes back to what you were saying earlier about how people think that if they haven't had symptoms, then they don't necessarily need the vaccine. I think people just have this understanding that kids don't usually get COVID very badly, so therefore they don't need to be vaccinated against it. Mm. Yeah, and I think that might actually be quite well I hope it might be quite an easy thing to change opinions about because you know if we have it explained how vaccines work with herd immunity getting levels down in the community I think there's some good you know there's some good information we could give people about that but there were no children or underage people on your trial I can't say that for sure, actually. Um, I don't know about this trial, but I'm sure that I think there have been trials where they have used younger people. But I don't know about Oxford. And and do you think, I mean, this is, again, the, my inner geek, and <laughs> the pursuit of personalised medicine. What, did they take any genetic, or, of course, these drugs are supposed to work for everybody which yeah. seems somewhat unrealistic to me. You know, there must be some differences between people and how we are made up and therefore what kind of vaccine that will suit us better than something else. But what kind of data did you provide that you think could distinguish you from others? Uh, they, won't, they didn't check your, you know, your genome or anything like that, presumably. No, I I also am really interested in personalised medicine, so I think that's a really good point, and I hadn't really thought about it before now. Um, as far as I know, that it well, I'm pretty sure they didn't take any of my genetic material or anything. No. Um, but yeah, I think that's that, that that's a really interesting point that they could make they could do things to target specific people in specific ways. I wonder if that might make people feel better or might scare people more. Well, at least if you know, if you if you come up with a vaccine that works ninety five percent of the time, you know it'd be a good idea to figure out with that last person in the group of twenty, if they're any different from everybody else, and then you know try some other vaccine on them. Yeah, that's really interesting because we hear a lot about um, this like ninety percent efficacy, and I hadn't yeah. actually really thought about what is different about the other ten percent where it doesn't work. And I don't know. I'm sure that's something that they must be looking at, right? Yeah. Well, you would have thought, but or maybe it's just this: if 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 you define a vaccine is only 
on, on, a vaccine of this type is only acceptable if it worked for everybody or for almost everybody all the time, which it should, makes it harder to create vaccines. Uh, yeah, definitely. What What do you think maybe, about the ninety percent? I think I know too little. Now I realize that I need to read up on this, and I suspect that that they it might be uh, it might be you know statistic statistics that they can't claim more because they don't have the uh, the power of yeah. uh, the number. So, so it could be that they it could be that it worked for everybody, but actually they can't claim that it works for everybody. Um, because they don't have the statistics, they don't have the however many people, hundred thousand people yet that they need to claim that it works for everybody. So it could be that at this stage. Yeah. Um, but it also could be that it actually <laughs> doesn't work for one out of twenty people. Which yeah, and there could be a, re you, a reason for that that that's something they could target. I don't know. You feel a little bit. Yeah, you know, it wouldn't feel great though if you were one out of twenty people for whom it didn't work. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. I think when you get a vaccine, you assume it's going to work, don't you? Like no yeah. one gets an MMR thinking maybe they'll still get measles. No. Although actually like some vaccines, like the BCG vaccine is like notoriously not very effective and lots of people still get that. So. Mm. Let's hope it's just maths. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> but it, would, it, is, it is true that if it, it, it should be easier and possibly less harmful if any of these things are harmful to... to reduce the you know, figure out that it works for 100 percent of people but only for those and those and those you know yeah if it's gender if it's uh you know certain genetics and and that would make it easier to come up with really personalized and and powerful uh treatments yeah definitely so do you study personalized medicine um i school? i did it as an optional module ah. um yeah, it was quite a niche choice, choice, actually. I don't think many people get to do personalised medicine at uni. I was lucky. Oh, why wouldn't they? Yeah, this I know. I think... Would be the because thing it, on my list. Yeah, I, love, I think because it's so new. So those courses are just being developed. Huh. Okay. And did was that... Who teaches... Would that be doctors who specialise in personalised medicine who teach those modules or would it be somebody and um, they they weren't clinicians who were teaching us they were professors and academics mostly oh really oh. but yeah it was a very cool thing to get to do oh. and it was completely new because it's not something we covered earlier in the course at all i think that's that was a good choice maybe this <laughs> is something i suppose this is a lot of research as is needed but it's you know there's obviously the direction of travel yeah yeah, for sure. I think we're seeing it with so many other treatments, and I think if they can use that for prevention as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I talk about it all the time. That you know, if if we could only come up with basic, well, there are best basic risk algorithms, and there are basic diagnostic tests. There are you know, interventions, obviously, for a lot of things. You know, the biggest opportunity here. We shouldn't sit back and wait for people to have symptoms and seek healthcare. Then we should predict and prevent you know, the diagnostics are there the interventions are there what are we waiting for yeah definitely it's exciting i think, I think um that is the future isn't it
Yeah, that is the future. That is absolutely the future. So, so you're not at Kingston now, are you? Um, and not literally right now, but earlier today I was at Kingston Hospital, yeah. And do you then do full days or do you do shifts as well? Um, at the moment we're doing, I've done like some long days this week um, and some normal days. It depends. It's quite, when you're for medicine, it's quite flexible. You don't really have set shifts. And, and all of these, uh, the horror stories of the intensive care units and all of that, is there an, inten- is there an ICU at, uh, at Kingston? There is an ICU at Kingston. Um, when medical students are not allowed in the ICU at the moment, I think it's just perceived as being too high risk. Um, it's pretty good for you, though. They ex- expose you to uh, to the virus. I mean, I'm thinking for the trial. Yeah, I, I mean, I could. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go up and be like, I've had the vaccine. Like, can I come and <laughs> can I come and see how effective that vaccine was? <laughs> I don't mean to maybe risking it. <laughs> And so, do you see the stress and the and the uh, at least by you know by being around? Yeah, I think the biggest thing I've learned from um, being on placement at the moment is that it's it doesn't affect just the patients who are sickest with it in ICU. It really, you know, it really does affect the way the whole hospital runs in so many different ways, big ways and small ways. And you know, it's constantly at the front of everyone's mind this COVID thing. <laughs> And for the other parts, so how does it impact the other parts of the hospital? I think in so many ways, like at the moment, you can't have any relatives in hospital. And I think maybe that doesn't sound like a big thing unless you know someone in hospital who's sick and they're by themselves and you can't visit them. Because work cases are so high in the, in the community, it's, it's just too risky to have visitors. And that's, that's awful. And then as well as that patients, these procedures like knee replacements and things like that, patients are really reluctant to come in for that kind of thing. So yeah. they're just living with these chronic conditions, but otherwise they wouldn't have to. It is true that that's, those things, I mean, those stories come out a, a fair bit now that people are waiting or possibly, I suppose that doctors as well as all other professionals, it's, it's kind of hard to work remotely yes uh, <laughs> that's true although i mean that, they are doing some good things they lots of clinics now are remote all right so, uh, okay but it, but in general yeah, yeah it, patients need to come into hospital you there's not that much you can do from home uh, for the for the doctors and nurses do you take once you work in the hospital do you take you know really diff, it, the precautions that having protective gear and so do you, do you do that also is is that also different yeah i how think like this, and how you i mean before this year i never wore a mask on placement now in hospital everyone is constantly wearing masks all the time yeah. you have to ppe up before you see any patient it's very different and i think um the other thing that covid is doing right now is it means staff are having to self-isolate a lot more like maybe because their children are self-isolating at school, so they have to stay at home with them. I think the nursing staff, especially, are really, you know, they're, they're struggling. It's hard. And I mean, this is probably, from a hospital perspective, in primary care, we've seen um, you know, the profession go digital or at least go remote. 
Yes. And that the number of physical appointments has just dropped significantly and the number of remote you know, phone or video consultations has gone up significantly. Hospitals, do you, do you see the same thing or presumably it's different? Yeah, sometimes like some clinics, um, doctors are quite happy to do phone appointments, especially, you know, some people don't want to come in. It's like more patient choice rather than doctor choice. Some patients would actually prefer a phone call now rather than to come into an outpatient clinic. Mm. Um, so it, it does happen. And then, but yeah, I did see, I have seen quite a few video consultations. And then, yeah. but then the thing is, you know, specialists do need to examine their patients. Like I was on yes. an orthopedic ward a while ago and it's very hard <laughs> if you can't assess someone's knee or someone's hip to say what, what needs doing. No, no. I mean, I can see the challenge with that for sure. Yeah. Uh, although I suppose they are, you could use check cameras on people's phones to record movement and, and you, know, you could possibly use that to analyze it better than you would do even in the consultation room. But yeah, I think there's some very innovative things going on at the moment. Definitely. Like there are people like there's some good stuff that's coming out of it because some people, you know, they, they don't want to come into hospital. So in a way, yeah. it does make healthcare more accessible, not just in this pandemic, but in general. And I think that's nice uh, and that's important that we're doing this. I, I would even extend it to who wants to be in hospital if you don't have to. Yeah, exactly. Like no, no one, especially, you know, hospitals that are awkward to get to their journey, even without a pandemic, you know, you, you never know. Yeah. You have to pay for parking. It's very expensive. <laughs> if you, you can just sit at home, that you know, that's preferable to a lot of people. Yeah. And and coming back to this is really interesting. I love this conversation. Actually, when you uh, the study of medicine, and I'm thinking about digital now. And how does digital change? Do you have? Do they? Has it? Do you feel that stud the study of medicine has changed? From what it might have been 30 years ago in terms of the tools that they teach you to use or do you feel that it's still quite uh analog or you know quite basic when it comes to the tech tech tools that a modern clinician uses yeah i think it's changed hugely recently even in the time yeah. i've been at medical school there it's it's changed so much and lots now and um, medical students still aren't really going into very much teaching um, I mean, a final year is different because you're on placement all the time anyway. But before that, you there's more kind of theory learning that you have to do. Mm. And that has changed so much. They're doing all these virtual ward rounds now, um, like over teams and things like that, instead of going to physically see the patients. Mm. Um, and then what else are they doing? They, there's like, we have a database of like patient videos where they talk about their experiences because something that's valuable in real life is to go in and talk to a patient. But it's harder to do that now so we have like video databases where we can listen to patients and what they have to say um but they they don't have uh you know a playground of their newest devices to to measure certain things and you know, let you you know let you play around with uh, using the the traditional way of taking blood pressure is all nice and good, and that hasn't changed in a hundred years. There must be uh, like a 2025 version of that already that you could see. Do you see any of these tools? Do you let? Do they, you know, try to push on with saying, "Look, guys, you should embrace innovation when it comes to diagnostics," or 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think that stuff might take quite a long time to trickle down to the wards because I know in theatres they're doing really cool things with like robots for surgery. Mm, exactly. Um, but yeah, on the wards, you're right, it's still the OBS machines that have probably been around for many years. Yes. Um, <laughs> but it is a tricky one. The teaching of innovation, of course, is that the only thing you know is that by the time you get out to practice, uh, Actually, the kit that you thought were innovative four years ago is now completely ancient and it's been replaced by something else. So all you know is that <laughs> what, whatever you see, it's going to be a different machine by the time you actually get to use it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's something I'm aware of, actually. And things change really quickly. I mean, in medicine, everything changes really quickly, like diagnostics change quickly, but then so does treatment. I know that mm. the treatment I'm learning now might not be the treatment that I use when I graduate. It's exciting, huh? Yeah, it, yeah, it's one of my favorite things about it. Like, you know, you don't know what it's going to be like in a few years' time. An employment with the NHS, yes, or at an NHS hospital or an NHS GP practice. Is that something you look forward to, or have you bought your tickets for Australia? <laughs> or when you graduate? Um, I think it's difficult. I think overall. Most people are very proud to work in the NHS. Like the NHS yeah. is a very good system. Mm. You know, it, it treats people very well. Its ethos is, you know, it's amazing. There's not many places in the world that are like that. Um, but they're under a lot of pressure at the moment. Yeah. It, it, like not every winter is diff every winter is difficult. Um, this winter is more difficult than any winter we've had before, and I think the staff are feeling that. It's hard. And how, how much do you, uh, do you have, do you come from a doctor family? I, I don't have any medical people in my family at all. All right. So you're breaking some ground here. That's <laughs> and, 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 but, uh, and so, so you, how do you, how do you know then what it is like? Because I mean, I, we work in the US and we work in, in the, the UK, obviously. And, and being a, a doctor in these two markets and countries is, you know, very different. Yeah, definitely. The, the, the lifestyle and the opportunities that you have. Um, do you th uh, so do you think that do you feel that this is an attractive profession? I um, do. But uh, do you do you think that do you share an excitement with your with your colleagues uh, at St George's and elsewhere that wow, this is such a great thing to do? I I think I'm quite an optimist, like. I'm quite excited to get started mm -hmm. um, and yeah, quite excited to, for the, you know, the post-grad training. Lots of, I think lots of people feel very nervous about it. it. It is an attractive place to work. I think people, there's a lot of opportunities. I like how in the UK you can do lots of different specialties and try lots of things out. Um, yeah, people, it's, it's difficult. It's a big jump from medical school to being a doctor. That's the thing I've noticed this year. There's, you know, that, that year is a really steep learning curve. And, you know, with COVID, it's even harder. It's, yeah. I think, yeah, you know, I mean, I've, I've spoken to people who have lots of different opinions about it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, no, I think it's a, a fantastic thing to study and a fantastic thing to a profession. And it, all, it even gets better given that, I think it's well known that in terms of it, you know, digital healthcare is well behind 
other comparable sector yeah tech sectors and so there's a huge amount of innovation it's almost that you know you, you come out and yes as a doctor you are better suited to innovate because the other thing that has happened you know 20 30 years ago you had to be a techie to innovate in tech whereas actually nowadays since tech is everywhere yeah definitely all of a sudden the piece, people who actually know something about an area are the actual drivers of innovation and and so that means that you know you have you have of course the traditional practice of medicine I don't want to put any uh, thoughts into everybody, all the doctors' heads now, but I mean, there's a huge area of innovation, the entrepreneurship side and building new things and and, and to come up with better ways of doing things using yeah, tech. Um, it's just, it's unparalleled. It's a great time to do that. Yeah. And I think at the moment, it's really popular for lots of GPs to go into these portfolio careers, whether, you know, they're working in their GP, their NHS GP practice, but then they do have these other things on the side that they're doing. And mm. it's, I think it's becoming very popular to try and get involved in this innovation, this tech, all these other ways. Because, I mean, the point of all of this, obviously, is to get better patient care out there. And that's something people are very passionate about. And, yeah, it's nice to do that in a different way. Absolutely. No, it's uh, and also, you know, the, the traditional practice of healthcare. I mean, there was a time when when a, a doctor would not be paid for a, for anything unless, you know, they would spend... 11 minutes in a in a room with somebody whatever they did and of course it's what people any we all care about is health and being healthy and so yeah be, you know be paid or be paid be fu- having a system that is funded for the outcomes as opposed to the activity uh it's the beginning of this and then of course that changes the mindset of people and say well and i think fundamentally this is what what is good about the the british health system is ultimately we have strong gps and yeah. a, you know incredibly strong gp service and tradition and ultimately the whole idea is to prevent yes yeah. that is really you know the whole system is geared towards prevention i i wish that we were further down the line but of course that itself is an opportunity um yeah, this is probably sure. the biggest opportunity for export you know, that we can we can bring. I think the, the virtualized primary care service. So, yeah, there's a lot so, of opportunities um, to do oh that. And Ooh. I think um, in this country, like our healthcare is very patient centered, and it sounds hmm. almost so obvious that a healthcare system should be patient centered, but there are healthcare systems that aren't. So you know you can do some real good with these tech, yeah. these tech products. Yeah, like you said, it's all just about getting things better for patients. Yeah, there you go, Lewis. I mean, you you have so many sound bites here. We just uh, it'll be uh, easy <laughs> for our producer Linda to uh, put together a great a great program. I think I've really I uh, really enjoyed uh, our our session, our group, uh, our discussion, and uh, I think we I think we'll round off now. Cool. Yeah. Uh, great talking to you, Lewis. You Thank too. You Thank very you for much. having me. Take care. All right. Thank you. If you want to stay in contact with us, we are everywhere on social media. You can find us on Facebook by searching MyGP. You can find us on Twitter by searching at MyGP app. And on Instagram. And our name on Instagram is at MyGP underscore app.